Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. In our Raid the Darkness series, Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, More Jesus, More Joy. Join us in John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. It's really great to see you here. Now, really, I legitimately want you to feel um, kind of victorious when you walk out of church. I want you to be inspired and motivated. That's why I really like that uh, song, because they played that right at the end of the Masters tournament. After the battle, after all the competition, they put up all the highlights and the victory, and they played that. And I said, man, that's the way I want to feel when I walk out of church. Even though it's just before I speak, I hope that's the way you're feeling. I want you to turn in your Bible to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's four Gospels here. John's Gospel, uh, he goes about writing this differently on purpose, right? So we've been in the Gospel of John, and I'd say I kind of surveyed a little bit this week um, how long it's taken us to get this far. And uh, so I estimate about five years from now, we'll finish. I don't know, I, I, sometimes I think, oh, I'm going to speed this up, and then I divide what I'm going to do at times two, because there's two kind of preachers out there. There's a preacher that's uh, got something to say, and then there's a preacher that's got to say something. I'm struggling with which one I am. Let's get back to John chapter 3. Now, it's taken a long time to get through just chapter 3, and there's a bunch of things going on. Where we are today, um, we, even last week, we, uh, the, the gospel it, uh, and what John's doing kind of has a shift, a change. He, he, he moves in a direction a little bit different. And now what's happening here, Jesus has just finished talking to Nicodemus. And that was a great interaction. Nicodemus kind of represents a lot of people in the way that they think. Okay? And so... The scene now, it, it moves to the Judean countryside, and uh, I like that. And this is where Jesus and his disciples are baptizing people. So there's this whole scene here of baptism and uh, what's going on. And so this is part of the way Jesus is gathering a following, is baptizing people. His guys are baptizing, right? And so uh, when you're baptized, you... Um, are you declare or you express your repentance and faith, right? That's what you do through baptism. It is an outward expression of an inward transformation. And, you know, just to kind of set the scene a little bit, when you're talking about baptism, we talk about this as a staff, as a team, actually a lot. Because people really, truly struggle with baptism sometimes. And here's the reasons why. And they're legit. You know, your, your journey of coming to Christ, is a, it, it's, it's a process, right? It, it is a truly a journey. And so um, a lot of times it just takes a lot of encounters with the gospel and coming to church and with your family and friends and small group and all those kinds of things. And so it becomes a drawn out journey. And so then baptism doesn't, you, doesn't happen until after you come to Christ, but it's such a process and a long journey that then people kind of procrastinate with baptism. There's legit 
reasons uh, where we're just not doing a, a good enough job of discipling people um, to faith in Christ. Um, and and they, they, they recognize, people generally recognize, I should be baptized, but once you sort of delay it, or you could say put it off, for a while, it becomes harder than to go, I'm going to get baptized because I think it's legit. What people are thinking inside is, my goodness, everybody's going to think I just came to Jesus and I've been a Christ follower for a long time. So it's uh, kind of a pride thing a little bit, you know, like I'm going to stand up there in front of people and I'm going to have to explain why I haven't been baptized. And that's a legit feeling, and people sort of delay it then and go, oh, I don't really want to do it. We put it off, and people have a fear of being up front in front of people. It's true. You know, I don't know if I want to tell everybody my story. Um, I don't do good in front of people and talking about, but I'm telling you, baptism changes you. It transforms you. There's a reason why. It's a command, right? And once you know it's a command, then when you don't obey the commands, obviously um, that's sin, and that's a really hard thing to say to people. But you might be in this category of people who should be baptized, but you've delayed it so long you don't want to do it. It's sort of a, a struggle, and we know that. But I, I really want to motivate and inspire you today to um, maybe... Maybe it's time that you kind of just took a deep breath because we will assist and help. We will walk through it with you. Because when you stand in the waters of baptism, it changes you. You are making evident, like we talked about last week, you are making seen to the world, you're, you're showcasing to the world God's power and what he can do to transform you from the inside out. You're proclaiming and declaring some things about God's sovereignty and his grace and his love for you and his change. And, and we're commanded to do that. This scene kind of captures some of this a little bit. And I think you'll see what I mean. Start in uh, chapter 3, and I want you to start in verse 22, okay? And uh, I think you'll find a little bit more of what I'm trying to say. After this, Jesus and his disciples came, to, came into Judean territory, and there he spent time with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing. This is John the Baptist, by the way, at Anon near Salim, because the water was plentiful there, and people were coming to him and being baptized, for John had not been uh, yet, had not yet been thrown into prison. We know that he's thrown into prison later, right? He's actually killed. All right, verse 25. Now, a dispute came about between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew concerning ceremonial washing, or you could say purification, right? Now, there's a, some layers of meaning in ceremonial washing or purification, and this is obviously baptism, right? So, verse 26. So, they came to John, and they said to him, Rabbi... The one who was with you on the other side of the Jordan River, about whom you testified? See, he's baptizing, and everyone's flocking to him. <laughs> it's kind of, a, kind of a crazy thing. Verse 27, John replies, well, No one can receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourself can testify that I said, I'm not the Christ, but rather I've been sent before him. And the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. There's a couple of words that are important. 
The friend of the bridegroom who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This then is my joy, and it is complete. He must become more important while I become less important. Now, who is this bride? All right, the bride is, is obviously the church. Who's the church? The church is Christ followers, followers of Jesus, people who swear allegiance to King Jesus and have given their life to Jesus. That's the bride. Who's the bridegroom? That's Jesus. That's Christ. Okay, so there's layers of language and words in here, baptism, ceremonial washing, purification, all these things that are going on here. Now, First thing to recognize, verse 23, brings in John the Baptist again and gets us ready for the main point of this section and that there's two different groups of baptizers, right? Two different baptizers. There's John the Baptist guys and there's Jesus's guys, okay? Verse 23 and 24, look at this. John was also baptizing at Anun near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming to him and being baptized for John had not been yet been thrown into prison. So the situation is kind of set up. The scene's kind of set up. And John, the author of the gospel, he's brilliant. Jesus' guys are baptizing. John's guys are baptizing. For some reason, a, a thing kind of a, a, an issue develops concerning the ceremonial washing and John's disciples, and a certain Jewish guy. And isn't it just like that where somebody can just throw a wrench and everything and bring up an issue? Well, I, it, you know, why is John capturing this? This is kind of weird. Look at verse 25. A dispute came about, and, uh, and there you go. John's disciples, a certain Jew concerning ceremonial washing. So the issue is purification, baptism, ceremonial washing. That's the issue. And what seems to have set up this dispute is the two different groups of people doing it, okay? Now, so here's the dispute over purification. That's all we're told. Kind of crazy. That's all we're told. The debate, the debate is never actually described. The actual debate. In fact, when John's guys come to John with an issue, it doesn't even sound like a ceremonial washing issue. What? Yeah, look at verse 26. So they came to John, they said to him, Rabbi, the one who was with you on the other side of the Jordan River about whom you testified, see, he's baptizing and everybody's flocking over to him. So what's the dispute here over the ceremonial washing? What's the real issue? You can only guess. We're sort of like supposed to guess, I think. We're not told on purpose a little bit. I kind of think that's a tactic. I like it. So here's what I do. uh, Maybe it goes like this. Right? Um, A guy says, John's guys. So what's the deal with this other guy's baptism and your baptism? Does his work and yours doesn't work? Does his really make, you you know, wash people clean and yours just fails to do it? What's the deal? I kind of think that's what probably went on. You know? Because everybody's leaving you and going over here. All right. So here's a new direction. Totally new direction. What follows doesn't seem to be the main issue. It's never, this issue is never referred to again, actually. Just kind of just disappears somehow. It just seems to get things started 
and then it just goes away. But what does happen in verses 27 through 30 is that John the Baptist takes the conversation in a direction that has nothing to do with ceremonial washing and everything to do with who Jesus is as the bridegroom and who John is as the friend of the bridegroom, John the Baptist, right? And what's happening in their ministry and the things that they're doing as the bride leaves John and goes to the bridegroom, and especially how John responds to all of this, this is what's kind of going on. Now, all of a sudden, John the Baptist is back in the picture. Now, he's introduced in the beginning of all the Gospels as, as this forerunner, crying, a voice crying in the wilderness, the guy who introduces us to Jesus, right? So why does John, the writer of this gospel, bring John the Baptist back into the picture again? Because he's already done this. Remember, there's hundreds and hundreds of things. I mean, you could say thousands of things that um, he could talk about or be told about Jesus. And uh, that John is actually leaving out and he chooses this. What in the world? I mean, John chapter 21, so you go to the last book, or excuse me, the last chapter of this gospel, and the last verse, and look what John says. He goes, there are many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So of all the things that you could feature about Jesus and all the scenes and all the stories that he was a part of and that he observed, This is where we are, right? So why right here after Nicodemus and this conversion sort of experience that Nicodemus has, why does John bring John the baptizer again back in in the whole mix? And in verse 28, he features John saying, I am not the Christ. And then he says in verse 29, I'm the friend of the bridegroom who stands by and listens for him. And then he says in verse 30, he must become more important while I become less important. Why all this focus, right? I think it's because what John wants to feature here is John the baptizer, all of his joy and satisfaction. I think he wants to point this out. I think he wants to feature this and connect it to this last few Sundays of messages and stories that's in front of all this. You've heard this theme before, right? In John chapter one, he's not the light. Like John the Baptist saying, I'm not the light. John 1 20, he's not, uh, you know, John the Baptist, I'm not the Christ. John 1 21, right? He's not Elijah, not the prophet. He's just a voice crying in the wilderness. He's not worthy to untie the strap of Jesus' sandal, and lots and lots more. So John has humbled himself, and he's lifted up Jesus already. He's lifted up and featured Christ already. Why does John, the gospel writer, bring him in again right here and do this again? It's like he's just repeating himself. Here's what I think the reason is. I don't think he's repeating himself. I think there are new things that are expressed. You just got to pay attention. 
A lot of people in that day, and quite honestly, a lot of people in our day, find what he has just said actually incomprehensible. Wanting yourself to get smaller and Jesus to get bigger, or wanting yourself to get smaller and anybody else get bigger. Now, think about this for a minute in social media. So uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and everything else, okay, all the other uh, social things. You post things for what reason? You post things so that people get to see it. So quite honestly, so they like it. So we spend a lot of time being creative and innovative and um, uh, clever, right? To get people to like it. Now, when you go to Facebook, when you go to Instagram, when you go to Twitter and all these things, and you know, I know it's just like a centerpiece in our culture right now. Here's the thing, even me, <clears throat> I'm constantly looking, when I go to my profile, I'm looking at how many people are following me and how many people I follow. And I kind of, whether I like it or not, I sort of measure myself a little bit. I mean, who posts something for nobody to like? Why would you do it? Why even post anything? So we spend lots of time posting stuff. Just recently, um, I thought I would try to figure out how to post a reel. And all I did was I took a little video of my daughter... And, um, and my new grandson, Warner, and she's sitting on the couch and she's laying him on um, her knees and all she's doing is tickling his stomach and rubbing his chin and he's smiling and giggling and laughing. So it's like a, it's just like a 30 second video, 20 second video. I posted that and this is what happened. 10,000 people watched it. 10,000 people. And like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people liked it. I just keep getting all these ting, ting. I mean, every, I still, people are doing it. As far as my meager, whatever, social media footprint, for me, it went viral. 10,000 people watched it. I mean, people, I have no idea who they are. I mean, they're just like I, I, I'm crazy. I, I have no idea who they are. And I'm, I, they're, they're, you know how social media works. It's, it's awesome. I, I just, I, I went back and went, I'm going to post another one like that. That was awesome. <laughs> That's pretty much all I do is just post pictures of a cute baby. That's it. People are like, I like that. Tink. How cool. You know, isn't it cool to watch a baby giggling and laughing? That's all she's, that's all she's doing. I have so many of those. You would get sick of me posting them. Probably already are, right? So why does John, the writer of this gospel, bring John the Baptist all back in here? Out of all these things, he's moving, the, the, the attention is moving to Jesus right here. Look how verse 29 emphasizes John the Baptist's joy. You see verse 29? The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. That's Jesus. The friend, that's John, John the Baptist, the friend um, of the bridegroom who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This then is my joy and it's complete. I mean, we want followers. Nobody gets on social media to not have people follow you. Now, there are people that just like, all I do is scroll and, and like everybody else's stuff. But if you post something, you want people to follow you to like what you're doing. I mean, that's the whole idea. It kind of is encouraging. It's kind of fun. It's kind of nice. Who wants nobody to follow you? 
what are you doing? Just don't go on social media if you don't want that. You just watch everybody else, I guess. So these are strong words right here. This then is my joy and it's complete, complete joy. Why? The bridegroom's getting all the attention and it's moving away from you. Who wants all their followers to leave you and go follow somebody else? All right. I think that's the Jewish guy, and he's going, what is going on here? This, isn't, this is goofy. I think a lot of the world is, thinks like this. I think they were thinking like that back then. I think people think like that now. The voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the shepherd, has replaced the voice crying in the wilderness. And in a few months, Herod's going to absolutely silence John's voice. He's actually going to cut off his head. All right, and he's going to end him. And John's response to this, this then is my joy and it's complete. I'm fully, completely full of joy. Verse 29, right? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, something really radical actually that I don't think people like either. And like, what? This doesn't make sense. Why would you think like this? What? This is crazy. You're crazy. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 and 38. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. What? Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus is clearly demanding that we love and that we value him over everyone and everything else. Lots of people think that's crazy. And the people who respond that way don't understand John the Baptist's reaction. Just like people may not uh, understand you and the way you're living and your reactions to things. It's the opposite of their own. They see that Jesus demands that we love him more than anyone, that we swear allegiance to him and that we follow him, that we trust him, that we enjoy him, that we obey him, we value him above everything. That's what he wants, and that's what's true. That's what he does, and their response is exactly the opposite of John the Baptist. They remain where Nicodemus was, surprised and shocked, or pretty much even offended. Why would you want all your followers to go follow somebody else? This doesn't make any sense. What, do you, what, is what, are what you're doing not working and not legit? What, what is happening here? You know what's happening? More Jesus means more joy. See, John the Baptist says, when Jesus becomes more important in the world, I become less important in the world. I bec- and, and you know what happens? I become completely full of joy when that happens. Why? Because this is the purpose and the plan of Jesus himself. It's love. Love that does this. This illustrates a joyful response to the radical things Jesus has been saying to Nicodemus about himself and about the sovereign work of God in salvation. You could call it a joyful response to God's sovereignty. When you stand in the waters of baptism, by the way, you know what you're declaring. You're swearing allegiance to the king and you're saying, my life doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to somebody else. My life has been given to Jesus. He owns me inside and out, and he's transformed me. And that really makes me happy that I don't own myself anymore. It sounds crazy when you say it like that, doesn't it? More joy, more Jesus. 
Jesus had said in verse 21, remember this is the point of last week's message, this is the red dot in the middle of the target. In verse 21, just go back to verse 21, that unlike the man who loves darkness and hates light, the man who practices the truth, right? Verse 21, the one who practices the truth comes to light. Why? So that it may be plainly evident, or you could say seen, that his deeds have been done in God, that it's all about God. I want everybody to see it's all about him. It's not about me. Oh, that is potent, right? In other words, one of the main traits of the person that is reborn is that he loves it for everyone to clearly see He wants it to be very evident that his new birth, his new actions, his new attitudes, his new devotions, his new allegiances are carried out in God. That is in the power of God. Back to verse 21. He loves to make it clear that his newness is a work of God, a work of God's sovereign grace. Oh, that's huge, right? Now watch how the words of John the Baptist connect to this. John's guys see at the end of verse 26 that John's losing followers. I mean, all of your Instagram people are going to somebody else. What's happening here? Verse 26, see, he's baptizing and everyone's flocking to him. Well, this is God's plan I know you might not see it clearly yet, but this is God's plan. Look at verse 27. John answered, no one can receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. His answer is that the reason these people are leaving him and going to Jesus is that God is giving them to Jesus. This is God at work giving them to Jesus. A person can't receive one thing, one person, let alone a whole bunch of stuff, unless it's given to him from heaven that is given to him from God or by God. That's the point of verse 21 last week. The people who come to Jesus love to make it clear that God gave them to Jesus. That's what you're saying when you stand up there in the baptistry. That's why we try to feature your story and help you with it. You're saying... God has given me to Jesus, and I want everybody to know. And we're actually commanded to do that. That's the plan, the sovereign plan. That's the point. This is exactly what we saw. All the Father gives me will come to me. In other words, that's what Jesus has been saying These words of John the Baptist are here because they underline and confirm the sovereign work of God in people coming to Jesus that Jesus spoke about in John chapter 3, verse 21. You wonder why they're turning away from me and going to Christ? God's doing this. He's giving them to his son. And it'll be clearly seen that this has been carried out in the power of God. That's why we call it a testimony and we testify. That's why it's a picture, a demonstration, right, of who you are now and who you belong to and where your allegiances are and who owns you. Then in verse 28, look at this. John tells his disciples that this is no surprise because God sent him for this very thing, that people would turn away from him and go to Jesus, 
Verse 28, you yourself can testify that he said, I'm not the Christ, but rather I've been sent before him. God sent him for this. This was God's plan all along. Gather up people, then give them up. Rise up in the desert and the wilderness, then burn out like a meteorite. That's what I want you to do. That's the plan. John knows it. And as it turns out, he becomes completely full of joy when that happens. It's amazing when you start recognizing that this whole thing is not about you. But it's so hard because we can make anything about us. We do it all the time. It's always about me. Everything. And John's like, you are not getting this. This is not about me. And when you recognize and you realize that, oh my gosh, it fills you full of satisfaction and joy. It's about Jesus and showcasing who he is. Now, then comes the bridegroom's voice. He totally surprises everything with this image in verse 29. You read verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. So the one who has the, the, the church is the bridegroom. The one who has the followers of Jesus, the people who are reborn, born from above and made new is the bridegroom, Right? The friend of the bridegroom who stands by and listens to him rejoices greatly when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This thins my joy, and, and, and I am full of joy, and it's complete. Why mention the bridegroom's voice? Why the voice thing? Why does the friend of the bridegroom, John the Baptist, rejoice over his voice? John the Baptist describes himself in John 1.23 as what? The voice crying out in the wilderness, in the desert right? Make, make this highway straight. Make the rough places plain. It's this crying out. Make a way because Jesus is coming. He's crying out. A voice, right? His own voice has gathered a people then in his preaching about Jesus coming. But now they're all leaving and they're going to Jesus. Why? Because another voice is being heard, a greater voice, a stronger voice, a more superior voice, a more supreme voice, the voice. John 10, John chapter 10, verses three and four. Here's a scene of Jesus as the shepherd, the great shepherd. Look what he says here. The doorkeeper opens the door for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own sheep out, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. And I don't have time to go through all that whole scene about the sheep and the shepherd, and the, but, but the, the, the point is, is that when you're a good shepherd, the sheep hear your voice, and you can just say, hey, and they go, oh, and they follow, right? They follow. That's the point. The bridegroom has the bride because the bride has a voice and the bride knows the voice of her husband and she leaves John and goes to him and John is really excited about that. He's full of joy about that. He rejoices in the voice of the bridegroom because the voice gathers the bride. People are coming to Christ. The church is coming together. The Christ followers are coming together. They're following the right person, the person of Jesus, the bride, he, and, and, and he's gathering her away from John, which is what's supposed to happen. They're not supposed to follow John. They're supposed to follow Jesus, which is why the next words out of his mouth in verse 30 are, 
he must become more important while I become less important. I need to have less followers for sure than Jesus. He needs to have all the followers. My purpose was to get people to come and follow me and then eventually go follow the the Savior, right? It must be this way. This is the way. The must of verse 30 is a big deal, that one word. This is God's must. It must, it it is the must of God's plan. In verse 27, God gives people to Jesus and they leave John the Baptist and they go to Jesus. This is what God wants and what he does. Jesus has the supreme, greater superior voice. So then in verse 29, John's focus focuses on the bridegroom's voice, his voice. This is the, a voice that's so much more than his own. This voice, you remember this voice of Jesus? It raises people from the dead. Lazarus, he's in there rotting to the point of stinking and smelling. Everybody's all upset. Jesus didn't get there in time. He's like, hey, it's no big deal. Lazarus, get out here. And he comes walking out. One voice, get out here. Come out. And he walks out. And it's just his voice. This voice is known by all the sheep, and they follow. This voice wins the bride. She knows her husband and goes to him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. It's Jesus. So John he summarizes up God's work in verse 30. He's got to increase. I need to decrease. He must. This is the plan of God. The son of God, the bridegroom, is going to be lifted up and exalted and featured. He'll be glorified. He will increase in the eyes of man. That's what's supposed to happen. Or as verse 21 says, it'll be plainly evident or seen that his actions and deeds have been done in God. So... Nicodemus is baffled by the sovereignty of God in the new birth through Christ. John saw it. He loves it. That's what John, the gospel writer, wants us to see. This is a big deal. Don't ignore the baptism. I don't care how long you've put it off. Maybe you haven't put it off, but you're coming to understand, I need to do this so that it'll be clearly evident and clearly seen who I belong to and why, so that they will clearly understand. People will know it is my testimony. It is a feature. It is a command. It is God's plan that people see that I've been transformed from the inside out. I'm a new creature. All that old me is dead. I've been raised to a new life, and I have a new person. I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to Christ. And I'm standing here today swearing allegiance to the one true king. My life is all about him. Less of me and more of him. I'm decreasing. I'm going to feature that the only person that can transform and change anybody like me, such a sinful, decrepit, deprived, ugly person, he can make me new. And the only person that can do that is Jesus. That's why John the Baptist is so happy. And the Jewish guy's like, what is happening here? You're losing all your followers, dude. They're going over here to this guy. 
I said, what about this purification thing? Remember, it just like disappeared? Huh. It all got started right in verse 25 because of a discussion over ceremonial washing. I think now you know. Verse 25, a dispute came about between some of John's guys, his disciples, and a certain Jew concerning ceremonial washing. He just represents lots of folks like, I don't get it. Why would you want to go like this? I mean, isn't the reason why we post to get people to follow us and like us? Doesn't make any sense. John speaks of Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. But there's a connection here. In these two, um, in, in the mind of John, both Johns, right? John the Baptist and John the Gospel writer. Listen to Revelation 21, 9. Come. I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now, here's all this language again. The lamb, wife, bride, bridegroom. The bride is the wife of the lamb. We know who the lamb is, Jesus. So the bridegroom is the lamb. He takes away the sin of the world. So it's not surprising to hear Paul speak about Jesus this way as the bridegroom of the church and say that he sanctifies her or he sets her apart. And purifies her when you give your life to Jesus, when you swear allegiance to him, he washes you clean, purifies you, makes you as white as snow. One day when you stand before God, see, sin can't be in his presence. You got to be pure. To be in God's presence is only one way to do that. You know what the way is? To believe on Jesus Christ, that's why he died on the cross, shed his blood, wash us clean, all that sin, and makes us new, purifies us. So is this about purification? Actually, it kind of is, right? What does this have to do with me? So when John tells us that Jesus is the bridegroom, that he has the bride, he's telling us about ceremony, washing, and purification, and that's where he's, what he's doing. The bridegroom is the lamb. The bridegroom does give himself for the bride and purifies her for all, from all of her sins. Who's the her? That's the church, Christ followers, people in desperate need of purification because we can't be in God's presence because we're sinful. We've been that way from the very beginning. We arrived into the world that way. So when people come to Christ, what does it do? It produces complete joy, just like it did in John the Baptist's life. It's like, I'm satisfied. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm fulfilling my mission, my purpose, my mandate. My role is not about me. It's about Jesus. So when you stand in the baptistry out there, just keep this in mind. It's not about you. What are you doing? You're showcasing evidence. It's about God's grace. And, you, you know, I think you should be really excited about that. I get the nerves. I get the, oh, I don't know about being up front. But see, when you just talk to anybody, when you do it, it changes you. It's like it pins a mark in time in your life that you look back and go, wow, I can remember it just like it was that yesterday. Part of the reason why I remember it is because it was in uh, the month of November 
And there was no such thing as a heater in the baptistry in the little church I grew up in. I feel like they had to break the ice to get me down in there. Of course, the pastor was wearing all these hip waders and things. And I legitimately had purple lips. It was so cold. I will never forget it. I came up out of there going, you know how you feel all warm and good after you get out of ice cold water all of a sudden? It's like, oh, I feel warm now. And all. Oh, I can remember everything about that day. I can remember the claps and the, and the cheers even in, you know, 1968, 1969. Wow. Yeah. When you give your life to Christ, he produces complete satisfaction and joy. Because why? Because he's your savior, your lamb, your protector, your provider, your leader. And no one, no one's like him. No one can do that but Jesus Oh, why is John excited? Because everybody's turning from him to the Savior. They found somebody like they've never known. How could they not love him more than anyone else? That's the person you want to like. That's the person you want to follow. Thank you, Lord. These are... These are great passages and scenes, Lord. I'm praying that you would inspire us all, motivate us all. Just like that music at the end of the golf tournament, it just pumps me up and makes me go, wow, I'm going to focus on these kinds of things because this is why I'm here. This is why I serve. This is why I work in the cafe. This is why I teach Sunday school. This is why I greet people. This is why I help count things, why I take care of kids. This is why um, I pray with people. This is why we serve the elements and I play in the band. This is why we do all these things, Lord, because it's not about us. It's about you and featuring that, that, that um, we, we, we want to make known. We want to be evident that you're the savior of the world and that you can transform and change us from the inside out. We know what our purpose and our mission is now. Help us to do it with joy. Yes, sacrifice. Help us to roll up our sleeves and get about it, Lord. Even if we get marched right into Herod's court, we're still all about you, Lord. Make our joy complete. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like to know more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.